0: Let's pray together. <clears throat> Jesus, Your Word is a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That it is through uh, the things that You have spoken within Scripture, the things that You highlight by Your Holy Spirit, that we know how it is that we are to walk. We know who You are. Uh, and that we are able to confidently live Uh, within this world, knowing you uh, and knowing what you would have us to do. Jesus, would you show us this morning what you would have us to see? Um, Would you help us to hear the things that you want us to hear, uh, to learn what it is that you would want us to learn? Father, that you would use these things to encourage our hearts, to uh, challenge us in ways that we need to be challenged. Um, And God, I pray that our our walls that we sometimes have up that those would crumble, that you would enable us, God, to hear all that you want to say. And I pray, I pray that I would not be an obstacle, that I would not be a stumbling block, but that your word would come through. I pray this knowing that you hear me, knowing that you love me as you love us all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are just closing off a sermon series where we have been looking at um, different images, different uh, false images, or different maybe incomplete images uh, of who God is, and and ways in which we can uh, misunderstand God. And that we have been then uh, looking at different images that we would use to uh, maybe correct some of our understanding. And so we've looked at the idea of God being an overbearing father, that he is one who demands much of us. Uh, and as Waylon pointed out to us, there is a deep love in God for us. We've looked at uh, the idea of God being a, uh, a spoiling grandparent or a permissive parent, and that uh, we've seen that in scripture, God is one who corrects, that it is uh, the, the father heart of God that would correct us, for, that would stop us from moving in, in false ways uh, and would have us to, uh, to walk and to, to move as he moved. And last week we looked, um, we looked at the image... <laughs> This is why I need to review my notes. <laughs> we looked at the image of God as a, as a greatest showman. The, the, the movie that came out recently, that, that God would be a dazzling showman who was out to impress us, yet what we see in Scripture is that so often in the quiet, in the everyday, and in the mundane is where God speaks to us. It's not that there is no extraordinary things that God does. And it's not that we aren't to seek out uh, the power uh, and the wonder of the Spirit, but that if that is all we look for, um, we may miss the power and the wonder of the Spirit uh, in the small things of life. Uh, today we're going to look at a- another incomplete image or a-, a false image that we can have of God. Um, and, uh, and once again, uh, I have, uh, as I was thinking through the, the Sermon series, I had uh, just recently watched a movie, and so it actually uh, made me... Um, Change, change what it is that I was going to speak of today. But the the movie was was Black Panther. It's one of these these Marvel superhero movies that have been coming out lately, uh, and that they do uh, they do a really impressive job of, of the story and the characters and everything. Uh, black Panther is a uh, superhero who dresses up like a panther, <laughs> uh, and he's black uh, in the suit, and he is also from Africa. He is the king uh, of uh, of a of a made up country. In, uh, in Africa called Wakanda. It is not a real country, uh, in case you're not up on your geography, like I am not, uh, but I did figure out that it was a fake country. <laughs> and it is uh, technologically advanced because of resources that are there. Wakanda is uh, very rich, very technologically advanced, uh, and they... In, in a lot of cases, have sort of a utopian society that exists there, and the, the, the Black Panther character is, is the king of this country, and he's like the protector of this country. What's really interesting and, and what really struck me uh, in this movie, like there's a number of really, really uh, awesome themes that kind of come out uh, within the movie, uh, but one of the things that struck me is that the, the, the nature of the country wrestling with this idea of... Um, do we protect ourselves from the outside world, or do we offer to help? That they had, um, because of all this technology, uh, they were able to actually Uh, disguised themselves but people didn't know that this country existed that it was uh, it was there but it was like this third world country that not uh, that nobody really gave any any mention to they had sort of an illusion shield up around like their their big city so that nobody kinda knew that the technology was there Uh, and throughout the movie they wrestle with this question of should we expose what it is that we are these amazing things that we have so that we can benefit a hurting world because they had technology uh, and and wealth that would be able to help uh, in so many ways. But they had decided that they wanted to uh, guard themselves because if the world knew uh, what kind of technology they had, that they would uh, seek to use them, that they would potentially seek to uh, abuse them, that others would come looking for uh, refuge and that they wanted to uh, and decided for years to, to keep to themselves. I'm not going to spoil what happens in the movie, but I, uh, I really love how it does end. Um, the, this picture of, of this country that has decided to kind of hide behind its own illusions, hide behind its own walls, um, is, is the false picture and the false image that I want to bring to you this morning of what we can sometimes view God as. And I'm going to tentatively say uh, that the false image that we have comes from the Bible. Now, <laughs> don't, please don't write me off yet. Um, wait a couple of minutes and then you can, then you can write me off. Uh, within, within the Psalms primarily, you have David using a term for God that he is a, uh, a fortress and a refuge that David speaks of God as a, a, a fortress or a mighty fortress. We have uh, hymns, we have songs that talk about God being a strong tower, uh, and, and this language comes from uh, the Psalms when David says, God, you are my fortress, you are my refuge, you are my place of safety. It's to you that I run, and it's to you that I hide, and it's to you that I find my protection from a hostile uh, outside world now as we've been saying not only do we refer to this as as, these as false images but incomplete images and so that might help you a little bit more because there is truth within this very very clearly that God is our refuge that God is who we turn to when outside forces even inside forces from inside of ourselves seem to be overcoming us that there is great truth to the fact that God is an anchor uh, in the storm that surrounds us. And that as we go to God in prayer, as we turn to Scripture, as, we, uh, as He promises to be with us in difficult times, that He is very much uh, a shelter for us from outside pain and from outside hurt and the things that we're struggling inside. Even the church for years and years and years has been referred to as a sanctuary that this area is is referred to often as a sanctuary that we are able to come here to find refuge that we are able to come here to find safety and that people have viewed sunday morning as the place where we gather safely where we get from god what we're able to get so that we can go back out into the world Uh, and depending on your view either just make it through another week without hurting somebody (laughs) or that we thrive outside of the world because of what it is that we have gained from God, what it is that we have gained from one another in this place. Also, churches have been places of sanctuary and shelter for, uh, for those who find themselves in poverty, for those who are uh, refugees, for those who have been uh, in abusive relationships and different things like that. So the church uh, has been a shelter, just as God is our shelter uh, in, in the world. So now, how can I say that a biblical Image is a false image. How can I say that a biblical picture of, of God that we see David using, that we see throughout Scripture, uh, to be an incomplete image of God? Here's something to consider. The word fortress, even the word refuge, uh, the word fortress never, and the word refuge, I think, only once shows up in the New Testament. That that the language that we see here uh, as God being a a shelter, as God being a refuge, uh, as God being a a fortress, is an Old Testament picture. Now, if things... Hear me out once again. If things from the Old Testament don't show up in the New Testament, which is referred to as the New Covenant... Um, that's worth paying attention to. It doesn't mean that we ignore it, but it does mean that there are some questions that we would have to ask. Why does it not show up within the New Testament? What is it that Jesus is calling us to? What is it that Jesus is wanting to show us? Or what does Jesus make clear uh, to us in his character and in his nature? Okay? We're now, you can write me off at this point in time if you'd like to. <laughs> So it's significant when something in the Old Testament doesn't show up in the New Testament the other reason that I think that this is a uh, That this is an incomplete picture of of God that we can hold on to that we can just think okay God is who I turn to in times of trouble, but I go and I hide in him. I Run away uh, from the things that are outside of me. I close the doors uh, And I wait for for everything to just be done or to go away is that the fortress is a picture of isolation. That we go there when we are afraid. That we go there when there is danger around us. That this is the place that we turn to. And the concern, the concern that I would have for us in in adopting this as a primary image of who God is, uh, is that um, we will run from our difficulties. Is that when we feel... um, under attack within the world, that we will run away from the world. That we will close ourselves off from the world. That when we feel under attack within our Christian community, that we will run away from our Christian community or we will seclude ourselves tighter and tighter within our Christian community uh, because we sense that there is danger there. And so that we can create preferred groups even within our own Christian community. That if this is our primary picture of God, we can flee when it's actually best to stay engaged. We can flee when it's actually best to stay engaged. One of the things that I read recently uh, is that it is much easier for us to hate people from afar than it is to hate them close up. That if we don't know somebody, if we don't understand a group of people, if we have no experience with um, different viewpoints and different beliefs, we can stereotype those things from afar. We can look for the talk points, right? We can hear somebody say something, and we can then lump them into a certain category. We can sort them, we can stereotype them, and then we can like deal with them in our minds. We're like, oh, that's that's this. Okay, I can just ignore this person then, and we can sort of characterize these people, and then we can we can write them off. We can misunderstand them. We can judge them, and we can even move to hate them from far away. And so I think that isolation, whether it be from the world or whether it be from one another, um, will make us uh, less like Jesus because I think it will grow dangerous things within our hearts. It is a very natural feeling to want to isolate. But it's bad for us. Okay. How do we maybe know that this would be a primary picture that we have of God? How do we know that this might be a view that we hold of God. As as has been mentioned through our series, how we view God shapes how it is that we act. Who we worship is who we will become. And so the images we have of God will shape us and will uh, change us. And so how do we know um, that this is potentially a way that that we think of God? And that this would then potentially be a way that we see the world? Um... I think one of the ways that we would notice this within ourselves is that we use a lot of us-versus-them language. That we would maybe hold uh, a, a very kind of cut-and-dry view that, that people are either absolutely for us or they are absolutely against us. In the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter, chapter 9, verses 38 and 39, um, Jesus was with his disciples uh, and it says that John said to Jesus, uh, and this is this is about you know partway through Jesus' ministry. It's been revealed who Jesus is at this point in time, uh, and uh, and the significance that that he has. And they've seen the disciples have seen Jesus perform uh, many many miracles. And it says that John then says to Jesus, "Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group." So that there is people who have seen Jesus do things that then maybe after uh, hearing how they did it, they said, oh, maybe there's a formula here. Maybe I can do uh, this and this and this and and demons will be cast out. And it didn't say that they weren't. It says that we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, not to try, but to actually succeed and, and, and do it. But because these weren't part of the the group of 12 that Jesus was close to and and teaching, uh, John, the disciple, was, was concerned about this and brought it to Jesus. We told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. And then he says this, anyone who is not against us is for us. Anyone who is not against us is for us that there is not uh, the the cut and dry. If you if you do everything that I think you're supposed to do, then you're with me. If there's something that's out of line, then you are completely and totally against me. You either agree with me in all things, or you are outside of my circle. I think that this is uh, potentially a sign that, that we um, would view God as a mighty fortress, as someone to flee to, as someone to hide in away from the dangers of the world. Um, I, think, I think another, another potential indicator that, that this is something that we hold is that we do make a lot of our decisions based on fear, or we make significant decisions based on fear. And this is one that I'd say that I have within my own life. Uh, my family and I were in Winnipeg this last, uh, just Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We got away for, for a few days. And um, in our hotel on Saturday morning, uh, well, Friday night, we were, going up, we were going up the elevator and there was a couple in there and we chatted with them a little bit or made some jokes. They thought our kids were cute, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <clears throat> The next morning, uh, the man who was a part of the couple was at breakfast and, and I was there with uh, with Molly and, and he came up and, and just started chatting with me a little bit. was was friendly and so we started chatting uh, about things and um, Molly then left and, and I stayed and, and chatted with this individual, got to know his name, found out a little bit as to why he was uh, in Winnipeg, that there were some medical appointments, that he was having to leave Winnipeg because uh, his, his stepfather, I believe, was... Uh, had had a fall he was on oxygen and had a fall and he was in the hospital and so they were gonna be prematurely leaving they wanted to spend the weekend there um, to make the most of a, of a bad situation and uh, through our conversation, he, uh, of course, asked me what I did. He had some connection to Estevan, asked where we were from, and, and then uh, talked about his son that had been in the oil industry here for a while, and then asked me what I did, and I said, I'm a pastor. And he's like, a what? <laughs> uh, well, a pastor. And then I, as sometimes happens in the conversations, I, I sort of move on to another topic, not to ignore, not to, like, not to downplay it, but just to sort of say, like, it's normal. You don't have to ask too many questions about it. It's not a weird thing. Uh, I'm going to ask some more questions about you. <laughs> Make you feel a little bit comfortable, because sometimes people who aren't church people are very uncomfortable when all of a sudden it's like, ooh, uh, a priest or a pastor or a minister or whatever is all of a sudden before me. Uh, and so we just kind of kept on chatting. And, and uh, I asked him his name, and I got his name, and I, I wrote down some details so that I could pray for him. But I didn't, I didn't offer to pray for him there. I didn't tell him that I would. I didn't, I think, go that extra step to say, can I do this for you? Can I bless you in this way? And so, sure, God can move within his life, maybe help with some of his uh, medical um, things, um, but he may not know that there's somebody praying for him. And so that could be attributed, if God does do that, it may be attributed not to God. And that was a decision that I made, um, you know, mostly out of fear. What is it that this individual who thinks well of me now (laughs) is going to think of me if I ask him to do this? What if I prayed for him right there, and I prayed with faith that God could heal him? What if God told me I'm going to heal this guy, and then I prayed that way, and then nothing happened? How embarrassed would I be? What, what would God look like? etc., etc.? And so, and so I kind of shied away from it. And I'm mad at myself for doing that. I had asked myself the question, what... I, I sort of looked at the cost and I said, you know, I don't want to make this statement. I don't want to ask him this. It feels like it's going to cost me something. Even if it's just um, some stranger thinking well of me. <laughs> or potentially thinking well of the church if they had an okay interaction with with a pastor. One of the things that I don't know that we often ask ourselves when we're faced with a decision that we sometimes make uh, out of fear because we say that the cost is maybe going to be too high, we maybe don't ask ourselves the question, and I think I've said this before, what will it cost me to not do this? There's a cost to the decisions that we make. We sometimes ask what the cost is if I do something, but what about the cost if I don't do it? What's the cost if I didn't offer to pray for this man? It's high. What's the cost if I share my faith with somebody? Somebody that I work with, somebody that I work with daily, somebody that's in my family, somebody that I'm close with. What's the cost if I do this? Well, what's the cost if I don't? Potentially another indicator that we may view God as a as a, a mighty fortress, as someone to hide away in, uh, is that our prayers may consist mostly of uh, prayers for comfort and safety and protection for ourselves, for those who are close to us. That we potentially think of ourselves first, uh, and that we don't think of others uh, as well. And this is that's a hard word. <laughs> Because I think as I examine my own prayers, uh, they, are, they are filled with prayers for comfort uh, and protection and safety. Which is not bad to pray for. But if it's the only thing that we think God cares about, we are missing a very large part of God. The counter picture that I want to give to you uh, of, of what would make this picture most complete That yes, God is someone that we can turn to in our difficulties. He wants us to turn to Him. That there are difficulties that come to us that He will protect us from, that He will hide us away from because we won't be able to bear it. But, in Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33, we find a well-known story in the Gospels. And it says this, If you have your Bibles, turn to it. We're going to be spending a little bit of time here. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. Immediately after Jesus had fed 5,000 people miraculously from a very small amount of food, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat uh, and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent uh, the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once, Don't be afraid. He said, Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, remember, out there walking on the storm, Uh, walking in the storm, walking on the water, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. And so Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped, and the disciples Worship Jesus. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. The counter picture that I want to offer to you, we find in the story. Jesus, after feeding 5,000 people, uh, tells the disciples to get in a boat. Whatever you believe about Jesus... Um, he had aspects of knowledge of what was going to be taking place in the future. That there were times that God revealed things to him that he knew what was going to happen. And it is entirely possible that Jesus, after he sent the disciples to go across the lake, uh, and he went to pray, that he knew what he was sending them into in the sense that he was sending them into a storm. And these are uh, a crowd of different people, but you've got at least four experienced fishermen in this group, and they are terrified. They are fighting against a storm. They are not at ease uh, being in this storm, meaning that it is likely uh, a violent storm. And it's happening at 3 o'clock in the morning, which is... They've likely been battling it for a while. Jesus comes across the water, walks across the water, and gets to them. And when he gets there, he tells them to take courage, it's me. And Peter decides that he wants to go and see Jesus. He says, if it's you, call me out to you. uh, Walking on the water, let me walk on the water, and I'll walk out to you. And Jesus says, yes, come. And Peter taking an enormous risk, steps out of the boat, heading towards Jesus, and he walks on the water. And Jesus called him into that. Jesus sent the disciples out into the storm, and then Jesus calls Peter out of the relative safety, or more safety than not, (laughs) of the boat to come to him. And Peter goes. Peter falls. Jesus saves him. And then they get back in the boat, and as they get back in the boat, the storm stops. Sometimes Jesus calls us, sometimes Jesus sends us into a storm. And he can call us out of a place of, in this case, somewhat safety and comfort. And he calls us to go where he is. And in this story, we see that Peter went, he took the risk, and he entered into potential danger perhaps knowing that his fortress and his refuge uh, was out in the unstable waters. But Peter took the risk. Jesus called him to risk, uh, and Peter took the risk. And what's interesting uh, is that one out of 12 people risked, yet all 12 people benefited from the risk of one person. That when Peter got back in the boat, probably when Jesus got back in the boat more importantly, (laughs) the storm stopped. But they all benefited from Peter's risk. Jesus sometimes calls us out of places of comfort and safety. Jesus is not only concerned with our protection. He wants us to risk. Because, I think, to risk is to be a lot like Jesus. That as we risk something... For Jesus, we are actually acting like Jesus. In Philippians chapter two, verse six, in in this hymn that you find, or or a poem that you find within within the book of Philippians about Jesus, there's a couple of these these that show up in Paul's letters, and they're just amazing. Uh, but in Philippians chapter two, verse six, it says, "Though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges." He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross, that he gave up his divine privileges, that he left behind his divine comfort, and that he risked for us so that we could be forgiven. Jesus left the fortress of heaven So that the broken world could be restored. So that all who believe in him and follow after him could experience eternal and abundant life. Jesus left the fortress. There's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of heaven that you find in John's Revelation, uh, chapter 21. And as he describes what he sees in this vision, he says, I saw... No temple in the city. The city is the new Jerusalem that he had seen coming down from heaven. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there its gates, the gates of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God within this world, should never, will never, in John's revelation, be closed. That we are not to hide behind fortress walls. That we are not only to look to God as our refuge in our fortress, but we are to look to him as the one who calls us out, as the one who sends us out. In Acts chapter 8, there was a, a, a persecution that came to the church. Early on in the church's existence, as the disciples and, and, and the many people had been filled with the Spirit, and as they begin and, and continue to tell people about Jesus, they came against uh, the powers of the current religious order, and they were upset with what was going on, and so they began to persecute uh, the early church. And it says that in that persecution, in, in, in chapter 8, verse 1, as that swept over the church in Jerusalem, all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And in the beginning of Acts, Jesus says to the disciples, you need to go. He says that at the end of Matthew chapter 28. He says it in the beginning of Acts that you will go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They had stayed in Jerusalem, though. Could it be That persecution came their way because they needed to be scattered. They needed to be moved because the world needed to know who Jesus was. We can't afford to hide behind a fortress of a God. God offers us protection, God offers us shelter. It's in Him that we find refuge from the difficulties of life. But it's as we go, He goes with us. And as was brought up at our annual general meeting in Matthew chapter 28, we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you, Jesus says, To the end of this age, Jesus says, Go to your neighbors, to your workplace, to your family, to another city, to another country. Go and tell about Jesus. Live the life of Jesus, spread the word of Jesus. We need to risk, we need to go. So I would say to you that if you've been tempted to hide because of difficulty that you've experienced, whether it's in the church or whether it's in the world, we experience it in both places. Could I say to you, stay strong, because the world needs you. And if you've been hiding, would I encourage you to consider what it looks like to step out? Because as you step out, you may walk on water, but regardless, you will be with Jesus and Jesus will be with you that we can't hide behind our walls, that God is not someone that we only hide behind, that He is someone that we need to walk with and bring our understanding of Him, our experiences with Him uh, to the world. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are a place of refuge and a place of safety for us. But that your doors are not barred shut. In fact, the image is that they are swung wide open. That people would be able to come and wander in and find you, but also that those who have found you would be able to wander out to share and to spread. Uh, the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. God, and I know that risks are scary. So Father, would you enable us to know when you are calling us to trust you, when you are calling us to take a step. And would you give us faith to know that even as we take that step, that each experience that we have where, you, where we step on solid ground or even we fall a little bit, but God, you are there to sort of bring us up out of the water that we have found ourselves surrounded by. That each of these experiences would solidify our faith more and more and more. That we would trust you. That we would know you are who you say you are. That you are with us uh, throughout this life. God, as we abide in you, you abide in us. So Jesus, give us an image of you that is worthy of you. I know that we've done a little bit of that work over the last four weeks, but God, expand our vision, expand our imaginations, expand our understanding of your scripture to know who you say you are. And give us the courage to be able to walk that out within this world. I thank you for each individual here how they walk out their understanding of you, God, how they live within this world. Would you help us each to support one another within this, to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron, to correct where where correction needs, but to support and to encourage, to listen, to understand, to love, to walk beside each other as we look to tell a hurting world about the good news of Jesus Christ. May we reflect what you reflect. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If I could call those uh, forward now who are helping with communion.